Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger Podcast. If you're new here, I'm your host, Sif, and I am so thrilled that you've tuned in. So I have a really, really fun episode for you. It is with a French wellness badass woman who I admire so much, and I'm talking about none other than Ingrid Delamar Kenny. So you may have seen Ingrid on Instagram. Her content is really incredible. She talks about wellness and female hormones and most importantly, prebiotics and specifically prebiotic fiber. So you may have seen her inulin literally all over Instagram. It is a phenomenal product. And I just, I love how Ingrid has been talking about female hormones and, you know, how to optimize them and their role when it comes to feeling like your best self. And so this conversation, it's such a good one because we talk about obviously hormones. We talk about digestion and the gut brain access, which you guys know I'm so passionate about, especially as the founder of Array, where we have two products, Bloat and Calm, and it's about the gut brain access. And, you know, her inulin is something that I recommend often because it's it really is a great product and fiber and prebiotics are just so incredible for overall gut health. So we touch on all of that. We talk about her Pilates method, which again is just great for women. So it's a really robust conversation and I know you'll walk away with a lot of tips. Most interestingly though, I think that Ingrid sets herself apart from other people because you know she's French and she brings a lot of lessons that French people just have as part of their lifestyle around food that I think we can all learn from as people in North America and beyond. You know, there's a lot of healthy food habits that they don't really think of as habits. It's just like ingrained in them. So we get into all of that today and I'm sure you guys are going to learn so, so much. 
So before we get into the show, a few things. First and foremost, my hot tip of the week. My hot tip of the week is actually her inulin powder. I have been using this stuff for years. I put a little bit in my coffee and it's a great source of prebiotics and fiber and really good for your gut health. Um, We get into how you should be using it, what it's actually good for, and just like a whole detailed spiel in the episode itself. So you'll learn a lot about it. But honestly, guys, like I'm like, this is like one of my must have products. And I hope you guys give it a go because it's clean and it's awesome. Um, Next, I am doing a giveaway. So I'm going to be giving away two $500 packages of beauty products. I'm talking makeup, skincare, perfume, you name it. So I'm going to be giving two of these away. And all you have to do is leave the show a review and tell me on my latest Instagram post that you did. And if you aren't yet, make sure you're following me. That's it. And I will select a winner in the next couple of weeks and reach out and get all your info. And I'll send your little goodie bag right to your door. Um, Which brings me to this week's review, which I want to read out. It comes from Clarice Gomez. And it says, Sif, the host of the Dream Bigger podcast, highlights all aspects of nutrition and more in this can't miss podcast. The host and expert guests offer insightful advice and information that is helpful to anyone that listens. I can't tell you guys how much I appreciate reviews. Things like this, just hearing from you, knowing what you're liking and what you're not liking. It just makes my day. So, you know, I hope that you take this opportunity to write me a review. You know, you may win a $500 goodie bag of beauty products if you do. It's so easy. Literally scroll to the bottom of your Apple Podcasts app. You may already have it open and just hit five stars on the star ratings, if you so please, and write me a review. I love hearing from you and I'm so grateful. So with that, let's dive into today's episode with Ingrid Delamara Kenny. So Ingrid, the first question I always ask my guests is, what was your big dream when you were growing up? Ooh, that's a huge one. My big dream when I was growing up, uh, one that died very early. I was supposed to be a ballet dancer. That's that's what led me on this path. And that's what actually got me into hormones. So my dream was to be a professional ballet dancer and I was well on my way, but my health and my body got in the way. So that was ultimately my dream, was truly to be like that kind of, you know, pro athlete, and that did not happen because we discovered very early on, around 14 years old, when I was, I was already, you know, at pro level, uh, that I had scoliosis. Um, and at the same time, I developed much bigger breasts than the average ballet dancer, which my mom let me bend and, you know, like with very tight bands for a little while. And then she, being French, she was so concerned about my hormones. I had my period and then I lost my period, which is very common when you're dancing professionally. And she was just like, this is too much between, you know, you bending your breasts and losing a period that you got at the right age and then the scoliosis. So that was over, but that was my dream. And ultimately I ended up going, you know, to law school and graduating and then going to fashion and I got to come back into, you know, a version of that dream. So here I am today. 
That is really cool. And I think it's really interesting that you always wanted to be a ballet dancer because I feel like Pilates is you kind of develop a dancer's body and like you you like learn to tone muscles, but it's not as harmful. You know, it's not as like it doesn't ruin your hormones and your body. So then when you did get out of ballet, then did you kind of dive into wellness or was it like later on in your life that you discovered that? Being, you know, a, like I grew up in the United States, but to French parents. And no, I think that no matter where French people live in the world, they stay so true to their culture. And that was very true in my household. So what you call in North America being in wellness is a French way of life here. It's not even like you're in wellness. It's like it's the way you live. You live with like, you know, your grandmother's tricks to like good skin or fixing acne by cleaning your face with sugar and you know like all these French tricks. So I've been in wellness my whole life just because it's part of my culture. However, when your dream of becoming a ballet dancer, especially when you know, like you're, I, I, I really like had a lot of people betting on me and I had such a promising future. Like they were sure I was going to be, you know a really, really well-known ballet dancer. So when that dream is crushed, you get so angry, you walk away from it all. And I did that. I walked away from it all. I was very angry. I moved on to completely different sports that did not work for my body. Um, And I started bulking up, for example. But ultimately, I got pregnant with my son at the age of 19. And this is when I said, oh my God, I need to keep my dentist's body and I discovered Pilates. So you have to realize I'm 44 years old. When I discovered Pilates, no one was talking about it. The only place you could go to in the States at the time for Pilates was in LA, in Santa Monica, and I was in New York. And I discovered it working in fashion. I was dressing um, a very well-known Latina actress who had dropped so many pounds that when I arrived to dress her with like what we knew her measurements were, she had a, her measurements had completely changed. So I arrived at the Beverly Hills Hotel to dress her. And I was like, wow, like we need, we need new clothes. What happened? What did you do? And she said, well, I started working and doing something called Pilates. And I, she dropped her weight, but without losing, you know, this healthy mm-hmm. look of a Latina mm-hmm. with that beautiful, like, you know, tone posterior and all of that. And I love that. And I looked into it and she introduced me to Mario Inger in Santa Monica. We had her studio there. And I became obsessed because Mari was, you know, a pioneer in Pilates. She was like many, many pioneers in Pilates, an ex-ballet dancer as well. And I found my passion for that. But I was doing it really as a passion that wasn't my job. It did not become my job until... 17 years later, when I moved, actually more than 17 years later, when I moved to Monaco. So I have to like, I'm going to get into like your whole method because it's really cool. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's quite different from other methods that I've seen. But before that, even I want to ask you about the link between hormones and working out, because as you said, like, you know, you were doing certain workouts, they bulked you up you know, there's other um, kind of instances of people doing like these crazy hit workouts, but still kind of plateauing at a certain weight. So let's discuss like hormones and exercise first. Well, that falls right into the category of 
you know, where I come from as far as my background in ballet dancing. When you are going, when you start dancing ballet, it like very, very intensively, many ballet dancers lose their period. And it's a given. They know that. They, they don't get periods anymore. And it's something in the industry and, in, you know, in, in that practice that's accepted. Mm-hmm. However, when you're French, so like a French mom, who pushed me to be a ballet dancer and all that. Hormones is something in France that is the core of who, like, your health, what you're going to look like, you know, your mood, your relationship. Like, it's really something that French people are very in tune with and they speak about at home. They speak a lot about that in a household and bowel movement. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you'll come down in the morning, same with the bowel, and your mom, if your friends will say, like, did you go to the bathroom this morning? Like, it's it's truly something that's part of the culture. The body functioning right is part of the culture. So my focus was first spinal alignment because I had recovered from a scoliosis wearing a, a brace 23 hours a day for four years in my teen years. So my first thing was to make sure that I could have, you know, the, the abdominal muscles and the back muscles to held up my spine the way that the brace had to petrify the see my spine collapse again. And then the second thing was, my second thing was the adrenal. Because I was really, really working with women and I was working with conditioning professional athletes like tennis players and you know soccer players in Monaco. And their hormones are important for performance as well. So that was the focus of the method. And when I planted in those movements, the reason why I moved away from Pilates, even though I still call it a Pilates method, because I have to stay, to stay true to Joseph Pilates, my whole point was to make sure that, you know, final alignment and the hormones. And that, that's where I started to see that truly people that were coming to me were like, you know, I have a trainer, I spend money with private trainer and doing this and doing that and I'm not happy with my results I so bulky why am I bulky and then there's other types of bodies who's spinning and you know going to very good camps and who it works for and that's because their hormones are pro- probably not in estrogen dominance they probably you know have a different type of hormonal level but the majority of women that are only given this one type of choices to lose weight always thinking that high intensity you know high impact is the only way to lose the fat. Then you have these women that are not giving any other choices and they're told, well, it's either you're fat or you're bulky and like defined. So you have a lot of women that are settling for the bulky look because at least they look like they're really in shape and it's really beautiful and sexy. But for a lot of women, the measurements drive them nuts. So that's where you know that this, you know, nobody was catering to these hormonal differences. Hey guys, it's Gabby from What's Gabby Cooking. And seeing as how we've all got a little extra time on our hands at home, um, hello, social distancing, let's get down to business in the kitchen. Come hang every Monday while we talk about all things food and I answer your burning questions about cooking, ingredients, swaps, tips and tricks, etc. I'm also gonna be highlighting super rad small businesses and we're gonna be learning about other incredible makers in the food world and who even knows what else. Anything's fair game in 2020, right? What's Gabby cooking in the wild? Here we come. Yeah, and I think this conversation is really, really important because people need to know that 
they should have different options for like what works with their hormones and what works for them even, you know, like I remember when I was in high school, you know, the only thing I knew was that if I want to lose weight, I need to just run on the treadmill. And I've said this on previous podcast interviews, but I hate running. Right. And so in university, I had a horrible time because I would kind of like yo-yo because I never found the movement that I fell in love with. And then I found that in Pilates and I feel like it works really well for my body. Exactly. And then you also have to know that you also have to adjust your age. So it's like, you know, what works for you in your 20s? Like, let's say cardio. There's people like, well, the cardio always works for me. I always shed the pounds. And it works for you in your 20s. But by the time you're 30 or after childbirth, your hormonal levels, your thyroid, everything changes. And the workouts don't adjust to that. I always felt like literally when you go into a gym, they should like ask you like, what's your, you know, menstrual cycle like, you know? Yes. What's like, you know, they should ask you all these things and then go, okay, you need to go into the high impact, high intensity room and you need to go into the low impact, you know, and low intensity room. Like this is, that would be actually my dream come true as far as the physiology of fitness. But that's not what's happening. I just, I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like all women are like almost treated like they are like a smaller version of men. And so like the prescribed workouts Mm -hmm. never take into consideration our hormones, like our cycle even, because, you know, like the way you work out is even different in different stages of your cycle. But we're not taught any of this. No one talks about it. You go to a guy, you know, a, a male trainer or like whatever. They tell you to eat a certain way. Everyone's supposed to eat the same way. Everyone's supposed to do the same workout. And it's just ridiculous. What you just said is so accurate. I actually had written, um, I think I had written like a blog post for the Skinny Confidential about that. And when, you know, people go into these, um, like to become coaches, fitness coaches, they literally in every country, even in France, they literally all get the same handbook. And it's pretty much about, you know, progesterone to testosterone and like, you know, and building muscle. And Technically, we should get two different manuals. I went to that school too. I, you know, I had to, to open my studio in Monaco. I had to do it. What's crazy is that they give you the same exact manual for female and males. And whatever you should be eating is exactly the same. Although the hormones that you release when you're a woman and you're working out are completely different from the hormones that men are releasing when they work out. So that's where the problem comes in is because on top of it, they haven't changed it for over 30 years. So when you go to the gym and a man or or a woman is training you, they're training you from what they learned, but they're giving you the same plan that they would give to a bodybuilder. Yes. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his days, you know, with the six little meals and like all that protein and the whey protein and all of that. And it's crazy. And like, I, I said that to someone who actually works in this field and has become one of those, you know, instructors and has a school. And I'm like, why don't you do like, really like the hormonal response and physiology? Like the course I took, I had a very hard time defining it. And that to me, that's insane because we're literally being trained by these trainers in gym with the same manual for men and women. Although, Building muscle is hormonal response and we don't release the same hormones. 
I, yeah, I mean, this is like, it's just so important. And I feel like people, like women just need to know that they cannot work out the same as a man. And like, I understand that like, you know, I have friends who've done like challenges alongside their partners, like their husband, and then their husband drops all this weight and like is closer to their goals. And then they feel so discouraged because they're doing the same thing, but it's just not working because that's not how a woman's body works. So Ingrid, tell me like if you know you have a client what kind of what's your like ideal for them you know what I mean like how many times would you have them training what kind of like like the length of workouts like what do you recommend so it it really so this is the thing it's such a good question and there's not one answer because the first thing I came to and I can you know I came to realize it from my own mistake when I opened my studio in Monaco my Pilates to go in Monaco and teaching the method, which, like you said, is very different from mainstream Pilates. I was training everyone the same, and we weren't getting the same results. So I know how amazing my method is, and not just because it's my method, but because I've been so hard on myself. I created it literally for myself and practiced it on my own through three, you know, childbirth, like each postpartum recovery for myself, and so. I kind of did like this really stimulating thing where you're supposed to have like a six pack and you're supposed to like be really elongated. And then I'm, I'm having these women coming from, you know, all these private trainers and incredible gyms in life when, you know, people spend money on self-care and taking care of themselves. And most women were getting great results compared to what they were doing before, but they weren't getting the optimal results. And I started realizing that my mistake is that was that it's not one size fits all. So then I started to really, really tap into that. When I started to think about the hormones, think about also recovery, many, many of them had super elevated cortisol levels from adding gym time because they weren't getting their results. And people, and like they, their coaches or the, the professionals which they were working with were saying, okay, you need to do more. You need to eat less and you need to do more. My second mistake doing that was only having the method as a workout and not offering the advice that I give today and, you know, and kind of like accompanying this whole thing with what you should eat for your hormones, for, you know, response, like physiological response to fitness as far as eating fatty acids, getting people off of diet and calorie deficit, which is also messing with your hormones and creating insulin resistance. So I made two mistakes throughout my career from the very beginning. One was to go with a one-size-fits-all, you know, my, my, my workout's perfect and it's going to be great for everyone. Yes, it's great for everyone. They got some results. But the bottom line is many women were not responding the same. And they, they were wondering, like, I come four times a week, just like the girl next to me. Why is she getting so sculpted? And I'm getting kind of sculpted, but I have both. That was another thing. Like I could see my six pack in the morning, but around 2 p.m. and that was happening to me because as I'm doing this, I'm also aging, right? I started, I was like 33 in Monaco when I opened the method and then I ended up hitting 40 and all of a sudden, 2, 3 p.m., teaching seven classes a day. So literally I should have like rock hard abs and I did, but I had like a pregnancy looking blow. So I started like the second mistake with that was like, okay, we need to talk about gun health. We need to talk about you know, hormone response, what to eat, what not to eat, getting people off of those crazy diets and, you know, food fear. So when you ask me that, it's really going to depend on where they're coming from. Someone that has dieted their whole life and come to me with 
you know, I work out like four days a week, super intensively. I only eat salads. I starve at night. I have a smoothie in the morning with, you know, whey protein powder. And my midsection is like completely fluffy. And I have visceral fat that I can't lose no matter how much I run, no matter. If I have this person, I'm actually not going to make her work out a lot right away because I'm going to need to work on her cortisol levels, you know, getting her off that calorie deficit that's messing with her hormonal levels and then figuring out why she might have, you know, estrogen dominance, what she should eat for that and what she should no longer eat and, you know, and then take care of the food here because I'm telling people, okay, I need you to eat like fatty acid. You need to start eating eggs again and putting a little bit of olive oil in your food. But when they're petrified of these foods because they've been on diets for so long that I've vilified all these essential foods, you know, like seeds and nuts and things that you really need for your, your hormonal balance, I need to take them through a whole, um, an array of, you know, education where they can understand how their body works, what they've been doing wrong, and that undoing all of that is not going to make them gain. So at that point, I would only make this person work out like half an hour a day, three to four days a week. And I would only tell someone who's really starting to get a result from, you know, fixing a little bit of their cortisol levels, you know, getting rid of the insulin resistance that's a responsive, burned out adrenal glands and, you know, that stuff. Once we're taking care of that and they're starting to do whatever, then I would see that I would see that maybe they do, you know, now we have a virtual platform where people can do our workouts. And so we have sessions that are 20 minutes, some that are 10. And I tell them, like, listen to your body. Do 20 minutes. If you feel like doing a little more, add the other session at 15 minutes. You don't have to do an hour and a half a day. As a matter of fact, just like for fun capital, like where you know how you get a tan, we used to get tans when we were younger. And then at some point it was like, I think I maxed out my, you know, yeah. <laughs> my tan bank. Like it's actually the same with working out. And I truly believe that working out more than an hour, getting to an hour and a half, for example, actually is counterproductive on your hormones and building muscle. So I would say for someone who's really leaning themselves out of that whole lifestyle, you know, crazy high impact hit workouts, and dieting and all that, actually, I would say work out a little less at the beginning, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you. So you touched on something extremely important, which is calorie restriction and insulin resistance. Can you talk about this a little bit? Because I think that there's still so many people who believe that calorie restriction is it like it's the only way you lose and it's it's just it's really upsetting it's sad it's what I was told when I was younger and thankfully now I know better but yeah like if you could talk about insulin resistance and like why that entire narrative is like bullshit that would be awesome so yeah it's like it's a scary thing to go into because you know like now with all these trends and stuff this also this way of seeing things like calorie deficit is shit and it's not great we've been given a bad name I don't yeah. believe in like these you know like intuitive diets and all of that i don't i don't like i don't like any type of labeling when it comes to the way you eat i'm french you know the same way that i i wrote a post yesterday and i often say that i'm like you know, if i told my mom ma i have a great relationship with food she's gonna go like like what did you smoke what's wrong with you like you, you talk to the bread like what do you mean like we don't have emotions or relationship with food food's food you have your emotions and a relationship with people 
you know, but that's the American side of me that's always heard that. But when she takes it literally like that, it's French, like, we don't have, you know, we don't, we don't have any emotions about food. We just enjoy it. You know, it, it's a great time to enjoy your family and not attaching emotions to food, realizing that it's completely ridiculous to say, I have a great relationship with food or, you know, I like, I eat emotionally. That's not great. And in French language, it actually translates to a sentence that's ridiculous where people will laugh the same way that you know, some people think that hugging a tree is weird. French people will be like, what do you mean you have a relationship with food? So that's the first step. The second thing is that, you know, in the French mentality, to me, it's been something very natural because of my upbringing. But I do understand the struggle because I grew up in the United States. And so, you know, I went to college, I went to high school. I feel like my girlfriend, my friends, having all these, you know, food dilemmas. And like food is vilified and this is bad food and this is good food. And, you know, and I cheated on my diet. In France, we don't have any of that. And so I decided to kind of be the translator because I understand both cultures. And so already to remove that emotional attachment to food and just being like, you don't have a relationship with food. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't have any feelings about it. It shouldn't make you happy. It shouldn't make you sad. It shouldn't make you scared. You know, and if it just by the same way, it, it shouldn't comfort you either. Like, you know, the expression in English, comfort food, does not exist in French, for example. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there are so many ways that we are culturally in France portioning our food without calling it portion control. Again, that expression portion control doesn't work. There's no such thing in French that relates to food about control. So how do we portion control in France? Naturally, our plates are already much smaller. The huge plates that you guys buy in the United States when you like go to, I don't know, trade and barrel, buy plates, they, they give you like these huge plates that you can buy, like the dimensions. We don't have those. Those are sold in our stores here as like heavier plates where you don't serve food. They're under plates to look pretty. So if you already think about the norms, of like the china that you buy when you serve with food you know our plate for a main course is a salad plate in the united states so that's one second the whole thing with like the processed food in france you don't buy your food for the whole week at the supermarket the same way that you see a french person walking around with their baguette under their arm every day and they go buy fresh baguette we go to the supermarket almost every day and see what kind of fresh vegetables they are. And our vegetables are seasonal. We're in the United States and a lot of, each part of North America in general, you know, you have vegetables from other seasons, all seasons. So that's already like number two. So for us to like, we go to the supermarket, we buy what's a season, we prepare it. There's a lot less processed food in that. That's, you know, the second thing, and that's the French way. And then we have our whole lifestyle, which is so correlated with hormones, where we don't eat standing up, we don't eat at our desk, we don't eat on the go. You have this two hours lunch break. And today, we're, you know, we have startups like American, like in, like in America, we have all that stuff. So it's, that time has been shortened by the younger generation, you know, and, and work class. 
So maybe they don't take two hours, but there's still that mandatory hour where you need to go stick to eat. Like nobody say that they're desk. I've never seen that in France, in any company. So there are so many things that are part of the culture that are great for your health. So you have the portion control. You have the fact that no food is vilified. We don't have emotions about them. We don't talk to our food. We don't hug it. You know, like so. If you already look at it that way, it's like you get to realize, like, oh my God, it's like what we do is ridiculous. You know, we're not scared of a banana. Banana is a fruit. But that's the other thing. If you tell an American, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm a part American, so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything negative about the culture. But if you tell us in America, like, okay. I have news for you. Newsflash, new trends. Bananas are great for you. If you eat them, you will lose weight. An American person will start having bananas every day. That is the difference. In France, we love a banana. It has benefits. But if you had banana on a Monday, you definitely probably won't have banana on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know what I mean? It's like, and the same with broccoli. If you had broccoli one night, the mentality is to have this variety. Call it maybe being a snob, call it being sheep, call it whatever you will. But the bottom line is that too much of a good thing in France is a bad thing. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So for people like, and I think that there's like a lot of things to take away from here. And it's funny because like, for example, the variety thing that you're talking about, it's so interesting because now people talk about it here, like metabolic flexibility, right? And you have to have like a range of different things and like, don't do the same thing every day because metabolism needs to be flexible. Whereas like, this is like the way you guys eat in France. And I think that there's like a lot of takeaways here because I I don't think it's necessary to you know, monitor your calories. Like it's, it's a lot of work to do every single day with every single meal. And I think that it creates a lot of dysfunction, unfortunately. So I love that you guys have these like just natural lifestyle and that, that is the reason why people are kind of like healthier, you know? Totally. And then to add to that, I've worked kind of against my will because that always, you know, gave me fear, but I've worked with people who had brush offs with eating disorders. And so when I do, because I am not certified in, you know, any specialty that deals with eating disorders, but I'm, I'm very good at helping them, you know, find a healthier mind, mindset and, you know, find happiness and eating again and all of that. But I always make sure that they have a therapist, you know, for the whole psychological aspect of it to be safe, because that's quite a dangerous condition to deal with, right? But the women that I have worked with that I have had had eating disorders the problem that we encountered the most and that i found the most was that they they tend to like you said they tend to go into an excessive stuff of something because they were so afraid of making choices they didn't know what choices to make and it was that fear of like i don't know if this is going to make me fat or not so they kept on gravitating only towards food that they knew in france when you're growing up, your parents make you eat what's on the table, first of all. And there's nothing that should look weird. Like it's all types of vegetables, all types of meat. Like my, my husband and I, we always tell my kids that, you know, so it's like half French and had kind of the same upbringing as I had. And he goes like, we had to eat brain. We had to eat like liver. And like, and the kids look at us like, ew. Like I had to eat like heart, like I had to eat a vegetable that's called salsify that I've never seen in the States. And I found it absolutely gross, but we had to eat it. 
in the States, they will say, oh, I'm trying to make my kids adventurous. In France, they will say, I'm trying to make my kids normal. So the fact that you get to really experiment with all types of food from a young age gives you knowledge about that food. And very often when parents push you to eat something you do not like in France, like I remember I didn't like artichokes, but I love, but now I love it. But I will always remember that the reason why I know today all the properties of artichoke is when I refused to eat my artichoke, my mom would go, you need artichoke. You want to go to the bathroom. It's fiber. You know, like you, there's this, there's this, there's that in there. Like it's, you know, it's, it's great for like cholesterol. So what's wonderful in France is that when you're growing up and you're like eating fish, for example, oh, fish is great for your memory, she's sick. So as an adult, you are looking at you like you retain say that. that and like it's like oh I ate it I hated it but she was like okay if you don't think it's delicious guess what it does for you you want to you want to do well on your test tomorrow it's great for your memory and so you retain that and so you associate food with benefit it's like we're so fortunate because we don't have to fix stigmas that we've had you know from a culture generational thing or from childhood you know what I mean and like advertisement on TV we don't have ads on TV about diet bars and all of that. SlimFast has never broke through. It never broke through in France. Why? Because you don't skip meals. You don't walk, you don't walk around with a milkshake that's going to replace your meal. Only people in the hospital who are not able to sell this food got those. So we used to look at like Americans that were walking around with that can of SlimFast when I was younger. Like, what's wrong with them? Like, they come out of the hospital? Why do they have to like put this <laughs> You know, so it's like this whole different mindset. Yeah, it is. So you also touched on French people always taking that one hour lunch break. So I think that brings me to cortisol. Why is controlling cortisol so important for overall health and kind of like even like if you're trying to keep like lose weight or like even just stay healthy? Why? Like what's the role of cortisol? So it's funny because when I started to talk about cortisol a few years ago, no one really knew what it was, I think. Um, and people were like, cortisone? And I was like, no, cortisol. And then I would say, it's your stress hormone. And people were like, oh, I'm not stressed. And I had to go into explaining like, okay, cortisol is not necessarily like being stressed from having a fight with your best friend or, you know, hitting traffic on the way to work. Cortisol is a hormone. Like, it's a hormone. And it's really the core of your endocrine system because anything you do will affect those levels so cortisol, cortisol levels are not good if they're too low but what's most common is for cortisol to be really high your cortisol levels can be too high from a difficult digestion so you see that has nothing to do with you being stressed out or having anxiety um your cortisol levels can be high from a very noisy environment while you're working out, eating, trying to work. Your dogs are barking all day long. That's what happened to me. My cortisol levels went super high. I felt it right away because I started craving carbs. So that leads us to what cortisol levels does for us. Cortisol levels really are the core of your endocrine system. Your cortisol levels are supposed to go low towards the end of the day so you can have a good night's sleep. And in the morning, they're supposed to gradually with daylight and sunlight and you know starting your day it's supposed to go very gradually and go up to give you the energy you need and you know the brain function that you need the attention and all of that that doesn't happen for most of us because we wake up with 
super noisy alarms are phones. Um, you know, your, your dogs start barking because they want to go out. Uh, the delivery man arrives at your house at 9 a.m. and starts ringing your bell. And this doesn't give your body the time to process this slow, you know, rise of cortisol. When that happens, when the cortisol levels rise that fast, you're bruising your adrenals. And over time, when you're bruising your adrenals that way, you start having resistance to insulin. Resistance to insulin is what causes you to gain weight, but also retain the visceral fat around your midsection. So for women, for example, like we mentioned before, they do spin classes and they do HIIT and they do intervals and all of that stuff. And they eat salads and they eat very low calories and they don't understand why it's not working or it's working really well on their legs and their arms, but their midsection is not getting out and they wonder why. It's probably because their cortisol levels get so, so high. The workout is very noisy. They're working with that red light in the spin class with the instructor yelling at them. The music is super loud. They go for lunch in the cafeteria with people are yelling. That also makes you super hungry because the cortisol levels go high. And when the cortisol levels go high, it messes with your ghrelin hormone, which is your hunger hormone, and makes you hungry for fibroid foods, for example. So your cortisol levels have a lot. They affect a lot of your, your other hormones, the hormones that, you know, hold on to insulin. And if you resist insulin, the problem is that you don't exert it out of your body. So this is where cortisol levels is something that you want to think about. And that's really why I created on my social media, my Simpanolin coffee routine with like the French music, the very pleasant coffee station. You see me lighting a candle, taking my cup of coffee, going outside and just, you know, getting some sunlight on my face. It's really to remind people that at the end of the day, you don't need to just like wake up 10 minutes before you have to leave, take a shower, start having palpitations because you're late, grabbing your coffee out and running. It's so true. And I always talk about the importance of like having that routine in the morning because I remember like when, like years ago, before I even had any sort of routine in the morning, I would literally get up and just leave the house for work. And I would like, I remember I'd have like heart palpitations as like an early, like in my early twenties. Right. And then I was like, wait, no, like, and I started kind of like changing and, you know, looking into having a morning routine. And now I don't look at my phone in the morning. I try not to wake up with like a, an alarm that kind of like throws me off because you're just like, <gasps> like, that's the first thing you're hearing in the morning, you know? So just like, if I'm setting an alarm, like kind of like a more calming one. And then you know, having a routine where I'm journaling or meditating and like starting my day off. So it's like that slow rise, because if your cortisol is high in the morning, I feel like it throws you off for the whole day. Like it's not just like horrible for like your overall health. It's also like a mental health thing. Absolutely. It will even affect the quality of your sleep. You know, it would affect your hair growth. It will even make you bloat, which sounds crazy. Yes. But it does. It will make you bloat. We always talk about this, that like, you know, there's such a link between cortisol and digestion that like you cannot be stressed and have great digestion. Like it's just like that's just not how things work. Like, you know, your body is so closely linked that like when you're stressed, when your cortisol is high, your digestion will be fucked up. Right. Like that's why I hear so many friends of mine have IBS, but they're also like 
so anxious. So it's like you have to kind of get that under control. And it's another thing to control because I've had people, let's again, that's like the extra American side. Like I've had people go, but at night I'm stressed that I'm not going to wake up on time early enough for my low cortisol routine. And I'm like, that defeats the purpose. It's just my diet. The more you're going to worry about how many calories and macros and whatever, that worry is going to rise your cortisol. And the salad you're eating is literally going to make you gain weight. So it's kind of like you, you really need to align it all. Like when people tell me like, oh, I take this supplement and I take inulin and I take that. I'm like, that's not all. This is not all. You absolutely need to align that with your lifestyle. You know, if you're having your simply inulin coffee to develop in a place where it's super loud and, you, and your adrenals are like getting attacked by that, it's not going to work. There's no such magic. Yeah, nothing works. nothing works. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So guys, like, get your cortisol under control. Like, it's so, so important. So we are close to time. But before we go, we have to discuss inulin, Ingrid. Like, tell us about inulin. How did you even, like, how did it come into your life? Importance of prebiotic fibers. Like, give us an inulin 101. So I'll tell you quickly how it came into my life. And it's crazy because it's very correlated with what you just mentioned about a lot of it being, like, you know, your, your brain to gut access, right? I, my, my son is 22 years old, who's now, you know, a law graduate, um, was on the spectrum of autism. And we, we went through all these emotions and therapies and stuff like that. We got much, much better. And, you know, we, we even did like a pilot treatment, all of it worked and he was doing really great, ended up being mainstreamed in school, moving to Monaco, learning French, all these stuff that he'll not even be able to do. And when it came to taking his high school degree, he kind of regressed from being so worried. And at the same time, he was also not really supposed to eat gluten because you probably know this. I know it's your field of expertise as well. But, you know, like kids that are on the spectrum, kids with like ADD, ADHD are not really supposed to eat gluten and lactose. It really affects their cognitive, you know, they're cognitive. So I would like say to him, like, right before exams, like, please don't eat gluten. Please, like, you know, don't eat this, don't eat that. But he had this regression that was due to his stress, like going, oh, my God, like, I'm a kid who used to be on the spectrum. And now I'm expected to, like, graduate like a, like a normal adult and then move on to law school, right? So I started to look for ways to give him fiber because I know since he's very young, like his doctor in New York is amazing. Always, you know, he, he was very ahead of his time when, when you think about it. Like today, all these doctors are talking about the cognitive. There's a Nemechek protocol for children with autism where they tell you to eat fiber and they actually recommend inulin. And so looking for something to help him because he's never been medicated. And all my friends were like, you know, give him medication. People like, you know, they give kids Adderall and whatever. I was like, absolutely not he needs to get through this he will have his exams he'll be fine um but you know he was having brain fog and i knew it was digestive as a lot of this is with kids on the spectrum so having over you know 17 years of experience with that with him i started looking and i reread the nemchuk protocol and i saw that dr nemchuk was saying inulin really helped you can recover so much of the attention span and the cognitive so I bought inulin in Belgium and I bought another one in Germany. I bought it in a few countries in, in England and I tried it on myself for 
a few weeks. Around that time, I was getting through a hormonal cycle in my life where I was getting older. I already had three kids. It was right before I 40, where I, like I said, I had a six pack. I was teaching clients, you know, the method six, seven hours a day. And it's all core, you know, focus. So amazing six pack. I would wake up with like this gorgeous six pack. But throughout the day, I would get this crazy, crazy blow. Like I looked pregnant by 3 p.m. And I realized after three weeks of adjusting to annoying, I was testing it for him. I realized that my stomach just whooshed and became flat. And I wouldn't get bloat during the day anymore. So that's how I discovered the annoying and benefits. That's amazing. So then what does it do? If someone has no idea what inulin is, what is it? So inulin is a naturally occurring prebiotic that's in our vegetables and fruit. Onion has inulin, beetroot, artichoke. So many of our fruits and vegetables have inulin in it. It's a molecule. It's not something that I made up. It's not a recipe. It's not, you know, there's no formula. It's something that's exerted at a vegetable. So you have like a cashew inulin, for example, you have chicory root inulin, and you have our inulin that is Jerusalem artichoke root. It's almost the same family as chicory root. Um, my first formula of inulin was actually chicory root, and it's incredible. It's a naturally occurring prebiotic liquosaccharide in our fruits and vegetables. And what this does is something that we need in our body. Like many fiber, you have soluble and insoluble fiber. This is the type of fiber that we do not digest. And what happens when you don't digest fiber is that it kind of, you, you kind of pass it through and it ushers out like, you know, all, you know, the visceral fat and all the stuff that you kind of don't want in your body as you're digesting. Why does that happen? Because in urine, as Dr. Gondry once said, and I, you know, I, I like the earlier Dr. Gondry, not as much now, but I really, really loved who he was before. And in one of his first books, he spoke about inulin. And he said, inulin is the little guys in your gut's favorite food. Who are the little guys? It's our good gut bacteria. Our good gut bacteria for us not to be bloated, for us not to have brain fog, for us not to have pimples, for us to grow our hair, our nails. You know, and for us to kind of digest correctly, to have our hormone balance, our good gut bacteria needs to be super populated. And for that to happen, we need to feed it. Our good gut bacteria, according to the Dr. Gandhi I once liked, one of his first books that got really well known, he has a whole chapter about inulin on how the good gut bacteria's favorite food is inulin. So that's why you should eat like artichokes, string beans, you know, beetroot raspberries, blueberries, all of that has inulin. The thing is, for us, whether you're in the United States or in France, that our fruits and vegetables don't contain as much fiber as they used to 20 years ago. So you can eat so much vegetables, but you probably won't get the intake of fiber that we need a day. And I think, you know, the, the medical like associations in our countries kind of say, for women, about 38 grams a day. And I knew that I wasn't getting that from my vegetables, no matter how many vegetables I eat, you know. There was a time where you ate a plate of string beans and you got maybe like, I don't know, like 14 grams of fiber and now you get three. Because our food has like mutated, you know, no matter, even if it's organic. 
So this is why this came as like something that I could get behind. So I, you know, fresh people don't supplement. You get like your vitamins from foods and, you know, your nutrients from foods. But that's something I could get behind because I realized that myself with my hormonal changes, getting a little bit older, getting 30, then 35, then 40, I was bloating. I was definitely missing fiber. I was also starting to like have estrogen dominance and good gut bacteria is, you know, the the main player even in hormonal balance so that's where inulin acts it feeds you with that bacteria it helps to populate it and it works great with probiotics a lot of people think they only need probiotics but you need both yes that's the thing like i think that there is such an overwhelming conversation around probiotics but no one like or like the conversation around prebiotics and actually feeding that good gut bacteria is like so much less you can be sitting there taking all the probiotics in the world but you actually need to feed the microbiomes in your gut too like you, you actually need to have bacteria to repopulate so that's what it was and you know it, it's it's again it's this mentality of like words becoming so hyped up and you would say probiotic, and even your freaking iPhone, you would write prebiotic, the freaking iPhone was probiotic. I remember when I put new <laughs> on the market, no matter how many times I wrote prebiotic, my iPhone kept on writing probiotic. And that just goes to show you how the culture goes, where it focuses on one thing, but you need really everything as a whole. Oh, I like, I want to like scream this from like a megaphone, because I think that people really need to understand that everything in your body is one, right? Like you can't just focus on one thing, which is like even why I loved having this conversation about like the gut brain access. It's it's a real thing, you know, and one impacts the other. And, you know, like not to get fixated on just one thing. It's kind of like how it all functions together. So if someone wants to incorporate inulin into their life, how would you recommend they start? If you're going to take inulin, Start going online, look for vegetables that are high in fiber and start eating them because I don't want inulin to give you that sense of having wings and you know what, I'll get my 38 grams of fiber from this jar. That's the first thing. The second thing is starting super fast and taking like five tablespoons is not going to make it work faster. And I know you promote the same thing as me because I know your, pro- your, your product you never pretend that your early products are magic pills. And that's something that your company, my company, we struggle with because people are so used to the promise that something's going to be magical and the more you take it and the faster it will work. Inulin is not like that because inulin is food. It's not a magic pill. It's the same thing with your stuff. And I know that. And that's why I'm so excited to like come on your podcast. Um, so with inulin, you want to start Super, super slow because chances are if you've been not taking too many pre- eating prebiotics, not even taking them, your gut is imbalanced. So how do you know your gut is imbalanced? You have blood, bloat. Like I, I said I, I did, right? Like the bloat, like 2 p.m. even though you work out, you do all of that stuff. You have a hard time losing weight even though you're doing everything right. Your skin is constantly breaking out. Your hormones are imbalanced. You have like your periods imbalanced. You lost your period. You're losing your hair. All that stuff is probably, probably deep-rooted in gut imbalance. So what's going to happen? You're going to take a half a teaspoon of inulin to start, and it's going to create havoc inside. So you want to go super, super slow because to rebalance this gut, which for sure, if you want to have inulin, it's because you recognize that you probably need it. 
it's going to create a little bit of farting and it's going to create like, you know, gas, <laughs> nothing crazy. You should not have cramps unless you're what I call an immune asshole and you're going to start with like five teaspoons or five tablespoons and you bet you'll have cramps. But if you listen to me and you're not in a rush to get skinny, because that's not what it's about, not in a rush to see a magical, you know, a magical thing happen. Start really, really slow. Let your gut adjust. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take a little bit of purging. So you're going to have bloat for about, some people have it for five days. Some people have it for a month. Some people have it for eight weeks. And then work your way gradually up. I do about five teaspoons a day. Sometimes a little more when I put it in my food, like eggs or something like that. Because I love to pair, you know, the protein with, the fiber with the prebiotic fiber, or I love it with a probiotic yogurt like Labne. Then you, you put your inulin in it and you have symbiotic therapy. It's like, you know, gut heaven. But ultimately, start super slow. Listen to your body. Don't be in a rush. So half a teaspoon. And then the next day, if you feel great, you can do another half a teaspoon in the afternoon. And you want to stay like that for a few days and just let your body react. Let it and eat real food, eat fatty acids, you know. People are also not understanding that when you take a prebiotic and it's a fiber, fiber is something that is, you know, it's kind of like, think of it like that heart sponge that's going to like, you know, scrub the inside of your body. So if you want things to glide down and you want to usher them, them out the bowel movement, you need to brisk up your body a little bit. So eat some fatty acids. Don't be scared. If you want the fiber to work, you need the fatty acids with it just so that the process is not a dry process on the inside that's going to, you know, constipate you or upset you. And going gradually within like two, three weeks, you should really know, listen to your body, you should really know like how immune is going to work for you. If you've gone up to three teaspoons, it might work great. Some people say, oh, you know what, I could go up to five teaspoons, which could be working for me. And don't do more than five teaspoons. You don't need to. It, it's not going to work better. I, I have to say like, personal endorsement, like I've been buying inulin for like a couple of years now, I want to say like a year and a half. And it's constantly on the top of my fridge. I have it like two to four teaspoons almost every day. And I like I put it into my coffee just like you. And I eat like vegetables, like a lot of them. And I have to say like, it's an awesome product, you know, like I think it's a great way to enhance, not stop your vegetables and think of it as like an instead sort of thing. So I think it's awesome. And I think it's amazing what you're doing, Ingrid. So I like, I love your message and I'm so happy I got to interview you. Um, so first of all, I'm so humbled. I said that to you offline, but it's so humbling when this comes from, you know, a peer, a respected peer who is in the exact same field as me and has so much knowledge, so respected. People love your product. I respect you just so much. I'm very, very humbled. By your endorsement, I didn't even know you used in your end. I am, I can't tell you how touched I am. Very humbled. Thank you so, so much. Tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, your Instagram is amazing. And I feel like everyone needs to go follow you. So on Instagram, I am Ingrid Delamarchetti. And then uh, our website, themethodmc.com. Amazing. Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. 
I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.